You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Good morning, Southridge. I don't deserve it. I still couldn't earn it. As we continue in worship this morning, I want to read from Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 5 to 6. It says here, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, as we gather today with humble hearts and with open hearts, as we come to worship you, God, as the heaven of, as the host of heaven worships you, as you've preserved all of them, I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our, not only our ears, but, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on us just as we sing this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you this morning in this place. I pray, Father, that we would have a worshipful heart, that we would be ready for your word. I pray for the message that's been prepared, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would remove any distractions in this room, that we would come today, Father, not only to worship you, but to hear for your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Great to see you. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. What a great looking church that we have this morning. And if you're looking for a seat, we've got a couple of prime front row seats up here. If you need a seat, otherwise we can get some ushers. We can move them back there for you. Whatever you feel comfortable with. Hopefully you got some of our delicious Southridge Blend coffee and you are well caffeinated and ready for a great time together in God's word. So if you have a copy of uh, a Bible, would you turn to Revelation chapter number two? Revelation chapter number two. We're going to be looking at just five verses this morning. Revelation chapter number two as we study together. And we also want to let you know if you need to uh, uh, scoot a chair over, we try to provide as much distance as we can in the room. Uh, but if you need to, don't, don't, don't worry about it. You can, you can rearrange the chairs. We're fine with that. So you get comfortable, all right? We're going we're gonna to be here for a couple hours. Just kidding. Just kidding. I saw some of you look up like, oh, no, you're not. Oh, no. I got some. I got a roast in the oven or uh, uh, I got something going on. But uh, no, don't worry. We're going to have a great time in God's word. It's going to be a wonderful day. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, setup team. Thank you, hospitality team for getting everything together. Can we just thank them? Amen. Also, there are some delicious uh, uh, snacks on the side. So please help yourself to that. We're glad that you are here. We're going to kick off a, not really a series, but I'm just kind of going and through a new study, and so we're just going to dive into Revelation chapter number two. But before we do that, I want to let you know about a couple of announcements. If this is your first time at Southridge, we're excited that you are here, grateful to see you. It's a blessing that you're here. Uh, if this is your first time, we'd love for you to fill out the connection card that was on your seat. You can fill that out and drop it off at our connect table, or there is a donation basket. Just drop it in the slot there. We'd love for a record of your attendance. And then for all the men, this Saturday, we're doing a men's skeet shooting activity this Saturday for all the men. And uh, it's ages eight years old up, okay? So if you're eight years old, you can... You can come out. We're going to have a great time together. We're going to have lunch there. There'll be breakfast there. It'll be skeet shooting. Uh, my dad, who's going to be preaching for us next Sunday, he's going to bring a men's devotional on Saturday. So after we're done skeet shooting, we're going to have a great time. Then we're going to open up God's word as men. And uh, we're going to also have some prizes. So uh, we're going to uh, give a prize away for the best shot. Uh, and I'll let you know, uh, Pastor Meese and I, we, we went out and we practiced this week, okay? So uh, uh, basically, Pastor Meese, is, he's a tough act to follow, uh, but there was Mike Dabrowski also went with us, and I think Annie Oakley was his mom or something because uh, the guy I don't think missed, I think only twice. So you want to be in his group because we're going to give a prize to the best shot, and then you're going to be in groups of four and five, so we'll give a prize to the best overall team. So that, that's good. So you want to be in either Pastor Meese's group or in Mike's group, 
you don't want to be in Brian's group. Sorry, Brian. You just, just you don't want to be with his group. Uh, he will make sure you're well caffeinated. He'll have snacks, so maybe you do. And then uh, there will be a prize for the worst shot. All right, so, so don't worry. All right, so wherever you're going to land, don't worry. You're going to be in good company. All right, so that's next week. So next week's just going to be a wonderful weekend together. And I just uh, am so glad that you're all here. We're excited to see you. So Revelation chapter number two, let's begin reading verse number one as we dive into God's word this morning. The Bible says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus writes, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. If we were to stop there, we would have to say this is an amazing church. I know I read it through, through it quickly, but this is the church that we would almost want to all strive that Southridge would be this church. He says, I know your works, your labor. He says, this is a hardworking church. You know, we had a team that came in this week and set everything up. This is a hardworking church. We had some people came in and decorated. We had worship teams practicing throughout the week. This doesn't just happen, folks. Some of you are just like, man, it's just so magical. I just come in on a Sunday, and it's so nice. They got lights. They got screens. Yeah, I, I wish it was like that, but it takes work. The church at Ephesus was a church that labored, said they had patience. You say, oh, that's good. That's good that their children's ministry workers were patient with the children. No, no, that's not what it means. Patience has to do with the fact that they endured some trials. They knew how to weather some storms. Church, we've weathered some storms, haven't we? We've been through some things. We've learned patience. The word patience means to bear under the weight. I also love this. It says, and you cannot bear those who are evil. You say, well, man, then my kid needs to get out of this church. My kid's probably demon-possessed over there in Rich Kids or something. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying you can't tolerate sin. This church just, couldn't, just didn't want to have anything to do with it, which is amazing because if you study the city of Ephesus, it's a wicked city. It's a city that Rome said, you get your total independence. Even though they were a part of the nation of Rome, Rome just said, hey, that you guys, it's you. That you're your own. And they had one of the seven wonders of the world was a temple that they built to Artemis. And they would have horrible, wicked, pagan sacrifices that they would offer there. And Ephesus was a city that was just known for its wickedness. It was known for its criminals. Criminals would flock to the city of Ephesus. It was also known for one of the biggest banks in that time was held in that temple. I find it interesting that big bank and criminals, you know, they were all just kind of there. This is just a, a wicked city. But yet it's there that even in the midst of a wicked and perverse city, here were some people that were shining bright. And they said, this church, they, they knew how to, how, to, how to stand firm for truth. This is a great church. He goes on to talk about them, just give them a glowing recommendation. And it says, you have tested and say those that are apostles and are not and have found them liars. The Bible says that we should test those, try every spirit, whether it be of God. Because why? There are, and this is a promise of the last days. Then the last days there shall come teachers having itching ears that will only want to say things that people want to hear. There are people today that are teaching false truth or a false gospel or what we would call maybe a social gospel which is no gospel at all. And here was a church that they would, they would listen what somebody was teaching. They would say, hey, that's not found in this book. They would say, no, 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 that doesn't line up with the teachings that are consistent. You say, where did they learn such profound teaching? Well, you know who started this church? A godly couple by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. A godly couple. Read about Acts chapter number 18. You say, who is Priscilla and Aquila? Priscilla and Aquila was used to reach Apollos. You say, who is Apollos? Apollos came to Ephesus, and they, and they, they noticed that, that this man was, was a great orator. And they asked Apollos, have you had the filling of the baptism of the Spirit? And Paul said, no, 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 I've only had a different baptism. And, 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 and Apollos was reached there. And then you had Paul come through there. And then Paul sent Timothy there. So here is a ministry that has had some of the greatest teaching in the entire New Testament. They've got amazing teaching. 
So they knew how to take and discern between what was right and wrong. Because we live in a day and age where sometimes you'll hear some teachers and preachers starting to uh, take Scripture and distort it to make it fit something that it doesn't fit in. And I don't need to go through a laundry list of scriptures to, to proof text why certain things that today are found acceptable in some churches that shouldn't be acceptable. But this church was a church that say, no, no, we're going to check that. We're, we're just not going to take that at face value. We're going to study the scriptures to make sure that what you're trying to teach is actually consistent with what the Holy Spirit wants us to have. This is an amazing church. Verse number three, it says, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake. And have not become weary. Oh, I love that. They were working hard, but they weren't weary. Don't you just wish that that would happen at home? Like, I know many of you this week, you had a long, hard week. And man, you're coming in Sunday morning. You're like, hey, I hope that coffee's extra strong this morning because I need extra caffeine and extra of the Holy Spirit because it's been a long week and I am, I am weary. This church said they worked hard and they weren't getting weary. And that's what God wants for. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Here's a great church, a great commendation. But notice verse number four. Everything changes in verse number four. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. It's as if, God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to John, the revelator, is saying, hey, let him know all of that is great, it's good, but it doesn't matter because you don't have this. You ever baked a cake and you got baking powder and baking soda or too much salt confused for sugar? It didn't matter how good the cake looked on the outside. You had too much salt or baking powder, it's no good, you can't eat it. God is saying, Man, you guys are doing so good. But you've lost your first love. Church, we're coming into a new season. We're moving back to Sunday mornings. There are some things that are on the horizon that are too exciting, that are just, I, I stay up at night about it, and I'm only allowed to tell like two or three people, you know, about it. So I'm just like, hmm, you know, just sitting on my hands and, and can't say anything about it. But there's just things that God is doing, and we're coming into a new season. And in this new season, I believe God wants to say some things to us that he would say to the church at, at, at Ephesus. Hey, there's a lot of things we are doing well, church. We have weathered some tough storms. Come on, we moved to four different locations last year alone. So I think at least this year we got to move a couple times just to make it fun. I don't want you to get too comfortable. Man. But all of a sudden we've weathered some things. And in this new season, I believe God wants to say something to us that he said to this church. And I want us to do a little soul searching. And maybe this isn't the message where maybe you say amen real loud. Because what I've learned about people when they say amen real loud when a preacher hits a good point, it's usually because you're not struggling with that issue, but you know somebody else is. But I think this is one that hits us all. Because we can be doing all the right things and still miss the most important thing. And here, God wants us to realize something. And the first thing is that motives matter. The why we do it matters. You see, you can be doing the right things, but if you're not doing it out of a heart of love, it doesn't matter. And here's the church at Revelation. They were just doing ministry. They were just busy teaching. They were just busy. And it's amazing that, and, and I struggle with this. Sometimes I love preaching. Let me be honest. Sometimes more than I love God. You say, how is that possible? Well, it's possible for you too. Some of you love your sports teams, honestly, more than you love God. Now, this is not to uh, indict you on anything. I'm just saying this is human nature, right? Some of us can love our vehicles more than we love God. Some of us love our jobs more than we love God. Some of us love our relationships more than we love God. But what does the word of God teach us? But seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. First love. This is a first love issue that Ephesus was struggling with, and it's what I believe the church today needs to come back to, because everything should flow from that motive that why we do it is from a motive of love. Why should you love your wife? Oh, it's because it's the right thing to do. No, 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 because I love God, and God tells me to love my wife. It's the vertical, then the horizontal. You say, why do you go there and you serve at your job and you respect your boss? He doesn't deserve it. No, because I love God. And God says, obey them that are in authority over you. It's not because I love him. It's because I love him. 
And because I love him, it allows me to do things for others. It's because I have my first love correct. So church, I want to challenge you. And only you know this. Have you drifted? Has your first love drifted? There was that moment when we first received Jesus Christ. We couldn't wait to tell people about him. We couldn't wait to let people know, hey, I've received the forgiveness of sins. I'm no longer bound for eternity in a Christless hell. I'm bound for heaven. My home is secured. Jesus has come in, and he has wrecked me in a good way. And now my life has forever changed. There used to be a day where you, just, you would just bask in the fact that God loves me. Like you would just sit there and it almost would make you emotional. The fact that God loves me, the creator of the universe who doesn't have to, he loves us. So he's saying to this church, he commends them for their consistency. He gives them that. He says, you are a consistent church. And I got to say this, church, you've been so consistent throughout the pandemic. You have been consistent not only in your prayers, because I've felt your prayers. I've seen the emails you sent me. You've been consistent in your serving the community. I ran into a person that they've never been to our church and they said, hey, your church was just so creative during the pandemic, just the things you guys did. You were just out there constantly reaching. And so there's some great commendations. We're so consistent. And many of you are so consistent. You were consistent in serving. You were consistent in, in helping. But that has to come from the right motive. You see, they were doing it, but they didn't know why they were doing it anymore. They had lost sight of why were they serving and my friend, today is a day where we're going to invite people to join a ministry. But I know what happens sometimes is people stop serving in ministry because they just don't know the why. You see, our church, the mission, <coughs> Pastor Marcel, can you give me a bottle of water? It is uh, a little bit maybe <laughs> dusty up here. <coughs> I apologize. You're not allowed to cough in public today. Uh, so so it, it, don't worry. It, it's all good. Nobody's going to get infected. I'll preach with a mask if I have to. But uh, hey, thank you. We'll be all right here. Thank you for bearing with me. Somebody told me, you're allowed to fart in public, but you're not allowed to cough. So I said, yeah, okay, all right, well, sorry. Anyway, let's get back to the word. Motives matter. And what can happen is we can get serving in a ministry and we can forget why we are serving. So all of a sudden, we just think, well, I go into rich kids and I just, I just babysit them. No, no, no. You are inspiring and instructing the next generation in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's like, well, I just sing on the worship team. No, you're not. You're leading people to praise a worthy God. It's not that I just strum a guitar. It's not just here that I, I, I beat out on a beat. It's not that. It's not that, oh, I just help them set up. No, no, you're setting up an environment, a room, where people whose marriage is hanging by a thread can come in here and find hope and restoration. You're setting up an environment where somebody who does not know Jesus, who is on their way to a Christless hell, that they can come into this room and they can experience what it means to be loved by God and they can experience what it means to see forgiveness of sin and a hope in heaven. That's what you're doing. And we can lose sight of our what? <coughs> I apologize. If it's a stage, I'll step, step down and I'll get off the stage. So motives matter, my friend. But then he warns them about compromise. Because compromise is the gateway to corruption. He lets them know. And that's the day and age we live in. And that's honestly what I hear a lot of today, is people just say, you know what, maybe we should just compromise on some things. Maybe, maybe church should just be a little bit different. Maybe we just, you know, let's not gather. Let's just do this thing online. Let's just, a little compromise. But you know what a little compromise does? That's the gateway to corruption. That's where it starts. Just giving up a little ground is, 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 is where it all starts. It's just, it's a little bit. You see, Satan just wants us to move a little bit. He knows, i got a lot of time. So if I can get you to compromise in a little area. This is why if you've ever gone through an AA program, they say, hey, change your circle of friends right away. Because they know, man, they're going to get you to compromise in a little area. They say, come on. It's just, it's just one puff. It's just one sip. It's just, it's just one hit. Just come on. And then before you know it, what happened? You fell off the wagon. And so today, the churches across the landscape is being so tempted to make these subtle little compromises. 
Come on, just give a little, just move a little bit off these things. Like this month. What month is this? It's June, but what have we turned it into? We've turned it into something that the church is now saying, hey, come on, just budge on this. Just compromise a little bit. And what, what happens when we do that? What happens? We're, we're seeing something happen. And so here's this church, and they were, they were standing. But, but when you lose why you're standing, all of a sudden it's easy to compromise, isn't it? We don't tie it to the why, that there's a biblical reason. And so, my friend, we've got to tie it to the why. Why does our church take this stand? And that's what people have asked me. Come on, why not just do what they want you to do? Why not just capitulate? Why not just obey? It'll be so much easier. No, it won't actually get easier. That's the lie that they're telling us, that it'll get easier if we compromise. But I'm telling you, when you compromise to Satan, all he does is tighten the chains. That's all he does. It's the trick of the devil. He's trying to just get us a little bit wound up, just tighten the chains, just tighten the chains. And it's like, oh, I can get you to compromise in this area, and I can get you to compromise in others. And so here he's guarding, he's warning them, hey, don't give in to it. Have the right motives. But understand this, without right motives, ministry turns into just going through the motions. And we can do that. We've been there. I'm a pastor. Sometimes it's tempting to just, oh, just come on, just... Just pick a sermon, anything will do, they're going to forget it later. I know you're not that kind of church, but this is the thoughts that run in my head sometimes. <laughs> they're not going to remember it. Last week I preached a message, and I love Andrew, our videographer. He's amazing. He comes up to me, and he was like, so how would you feel about that message? I was like, bro, really? <laughs> I was like, man, why you got to do that right after I preach? He was like, no, no, it was good. I was like, how come I don't believe you? <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not sure that your definition is good. Is, and, and there's these thoughts that just, hey, just mail it in. Just, just it, it doesn't matter. You see, the temptation is that all of a sudden we can just kind of get in the motions. And that's what he said. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. That we could just be doing ministry. And what did Paul write about that? He said in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, Though I speak with the tongues of angels, but have not love, I'm become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but if I have not love, it profits nothing. Church, we can't become the church that we do everything right, that we dot our I's and we cross our T's, but we don't know how to love the person that's on their way to a Christless eternity, that we, we miss the fact that we're here to love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. So I can't have aught against any of you. I can't be disgruntled. I can't be upset. I need to make sure I guard my own heart. And there are times when sometimes people act like people. And we're all fallen, and we all do dumb things. And in those moments, we have to fill it in with forgiveness and say, you know what, God? Look, i, I got to love these people because that's how the world knows I'm a follower of him. The world doesn't know you're a follower of him because you have a fish bumper sticker on your car. <laughs> how they know that you're a follower of him is because you love your husband even though he doesn't always deserve it. They know that you follow him because they see how when somebody's hurting, when somebody's down, you don't kick them while they're down. Instead, you say, hey, how can I support you? How can I love you? How can I lift you up? And they say, well, that's new. That's, that's different. And you say, yeah, it's, it's because I've got a greater love. My love tank gets filled with, from him. That he, he supplies my every need. He helps me. I can make it. And so I'm able to lift others up. I'm able to encourage others. Why? Because I'm not just going through the motions. And I never want our church to become a church that just goes through the motions. That we just do it. We're just on autopilot. That we could just do this thing. And it, it just, I want us, and, and, and we're in a season right now, honestly, where every Sunday is a little bit of a freak out between the internal team. We're like, are we going to have a worship team this week? I don't know. Are we going to have a setup? I don't know. Are we going to have this? I don't know. Is anybody show up? I don't know. Are we going to get shut down? I don't know. So you know what it does? It keeps me in this posture right here. This is the posture it keeps me in. And this is the posture every church needs to be in. It keeps us on our knees saying, God, unless you move. So you don't understand. Every Sunday is a miracle now. I hope you realize that. There's, there's no such thing as a normal Sunday. And I know we're looking for normal, we're waiting for normal, but there's no such thing. we got to get back to the fact that we've been taking this for granted. We've taken the gathering for granted, which really we've taken God for granted, actually, because it's not about the gathering, it was about the hard posture towards God. And that's what we've taken for granted.
that we just kind of figured that we could do something else, but God's like, no, 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 it's, it's me, guys. It's are you worshiping me? Are you seeking me? But when the body collective comes together and we're all single-mindedly saying, I want to worship God, all of a sudden God says, there's a church I want to fill. There's a church I want to use. There's a church I want to bless. There's a church that I can multiply. There's a church that will change the city. There is a place where I can set my spirit down where I can move in their midst. I don't want to be a church that we just think that we can do it on our own because we can't. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We need it. Let us never come on a Sunday and just think, well, they just asked me to be an usher. I could just usher. No, no, no. I want prayed up ushers. Never just think, oh, man, I can just kind of do pro presenter, and I, can, I don't really need to pray, and I can just be this. No, no, no. We want prayed up people that are doing pro presenter. Never think that, oh, they just asked me to make coffee, and I don't need to worry about how my life is. No, 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 no. We want people that make good coffee to the glory of God. We want people that are living a righteous life. You say, well, they just asked me to teach the kids, and the kids, it doesn't matter that I, that I have a lifestyle that I'm not too proud of the kids. No, no. We want people that we can teach our children, say, hey, you see that person? You can follow their example. They're a godly example. You can check their Instagram, and there's nothing they're ashamed of on Instagram. You can check their Snapchat. There's nothing they're ashamed of on Snapchat. And you can check their Tinder. No, 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 they don't have Tinder. They don't got none of that. You can, you, you, you can, you can, you can check them out. They are, they are good people. They are godly people. Not perfect. No perfect people allowed at this church, all right? Nobody's perfect. But we are together saying, hey, we have a purpose to pursue God. And so we don't want to fall through just going the motion. You say, why? Because love warms the heart and it guards against a culture of coldness. You ever walked into a cold church? Great worship, great facilities, great coffee, great greeters, but you're like, hmm, something's, uh, something's missing. It's like everybody just knows that they got something great, but it's just, it's cold. You're like, and it's not the heat. It's not the heat. It's just something missing. I want people to walk into Southridge, and we could be meeting in a barn, but they said, man, there's something hot here. There's something good here. There's something powerful here because the spirit of the Lord is here, and people can get saved. So it doesn't matter where we meet because we know that God is with us and that he changes the atmosphere. So it's not about pretty lights. It's not about pretty screens. It's about where the spirit of the Lord abides, and that's how we guard against a culture of coldness. But notice what he said in verse number four. I have this against you, that you left your first love. Notice, they didn't lose it. They left it. You ever been at a potluck? And uh, the host is very nice. This is traditional with Filipino culture. You're taking a plate home. Or you're actually going to take more than a plate if you're lucky. You're going to get to take a lot of food home. And that's, that's a good Filipino party. And if you're having a Filipino party and you don't give people leftovers, we ain't never coming back to your parties. Because you buy extras for take-home, because that's where we're eating the next day. But you ever been to one of those parties, and there's that one casserole? People are like, it's my special peanut butter spaghetti casserole. You're like, mmm, how about that? Like, I want you to take some home. Mm. <laughs> and then they call you the next day. Oh, you left your, your plate that I made for you. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. That was intentional. I left it for sure. That's yours. You could throw it away for me. You know what we do with God? We didn't lose him because God can't be lost. Because what did the psalmist said? Whether I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings in the morning, behold, even there thou art. So you can't get away from God. So you can't lose God, but you can leave him. And that's what the church is guilty of. And here's what's so subtle about it. Nobody really knows but you. Because I could sit here on a Sunday morning, and I could sit here with a Bible and a notepad, and just like, yeah, that's good, Pastor. That's good. He doesn't know what I did the last 150 hours during this week. I could just fake it. I just lean forward. I clap. We could fake it. But we fake it to our own detriment. Like this. I go back to this illustration. The owner of my gym's here, and, and I got to use gym illustrations. <laughs> when I started CrossFit, I hated it. My wife made me go. So I began to resent everything that had to do with the gym. So as soon as nobody was looking, when we get to the other side of the gym where nobody was, could see me, I walked. I was like, this is dumb. I'm not allowed to cuss, so I have to make up words, you know, and everything like that. But I was, I was thinking them. And then the owner of the gym was like, you're only cheating yourself. You're not cheating me. You, I get the same whether you get healthy or not. It's all, it's all the same to me. You're just cheating yourself. Oh, okay. 
you're only cheating yourself out of the dynamic, life-giving, fulfilling relationship with God. That's the only one you're cheating. That's why you can look at the person next to you and you're like, man, when we're singing that worship song, even if it's not always perfectly on beat or whatever, they got tears in their eyes. And, and, and you can tell God's meeting with them. God, why aren't you meeting with me? God, why am I not getting with them? We're just, we're just one seat over, but what are they getting that I'm not getting? God, I want, I want you to speak to me and be with me like that. Because it's your heart. It's your responsibility. Man, I'm going to try to preach, and if I ask a preacher to come here, I'm going to tell him, hey, try to feed them the word. They need the word, but our, our job, we're trying to get your fire, your heart on fire for God. We're trying to stir you up because this world needs to see Christians, that we're just, we're just not Sunday-only Christians, that this thing is real, that, that we mean this, and we're fighting for this, and we're trying to do the very best we can. You see, and what's amazing to me, this church lost it, and they had the Apostle Paul for two years as their pastor. And they lost the passion. So it doesn't matter how good your preacher is. You can still lose your passion. Don't be, bl- don't be blaming your pastor. I know one person, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you're my midweek pastor. And then I got a Sunday pastor. And then I got like a, you know, middle of the day podcast pastor. I was like, thanks. I'm glad I'm on the list. And, uh, and another person was like, oh, you got bumped up. You're now my Sunday pastor. And I was like, okay. I didn't know you had a little ranking, little system and everything. I know how you guys are. I know I'm, I'm like one of three or four of your pastors. I, I, I accept it. I love you anyway, okay? It's, it's all good. I'm, I'm okay with it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good the pastor is if the posture of your heart is, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You preach as hard as you want. You can preach till you're blue in the face. You can spit, scream, cough, whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. I'm just, I'm just here, bro. Just checking off the list. Makes the wife happy. Makes the, makes the husband happy. I don't know. Yeah, just I'm checking off the list. Just want people to know that I did my good deed. And you're only robbing yourself of that vibrant relationship that God wants to have with you. So it's the motive. They, they didn't lose it. They left it. They had fallen, and they weren't living up to love. There's a song that says, love lifts us up to where we belong. There's an old hymn we used to sing. It was, love lifted me. And Jane would always hate it when we would sing the song because uh, not that she didn't like the song. It's because when we hit that part in the chorus where it's, love lifted me, love lifted me. No, 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 no. Love lifted me. I would always do that. She's like, why you got I was like, he's lifting me. You know, it's lifting me. I, I got love and it's lifting me. You know what? You don't have any love? Man, what's wrong with you? And she's like, why, why are you doing that? I was like, I don't know, but I like this song and it just lifts me up because I think it's so true that when we have the love of God, it changes everything about us. Hey, some of us should leak that love of God. It should be coming out of us. Where we go to work on a Monday morning, everybody else is upset, and they look at you and like, what is wrong with you? It's the love of Jesus just changes everything about me. So maybe we need to learn to love. And finally, notice one more time what he says. He says the remedy, verse number five. He says, remember, therefore, from when you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Understand this. If you lack love, you'll lose your light. That's what he's saying. Light in that day and age didn't have to do with light, like nobody could see. It had to do with their influence. It had to do with that that ability to affect change. You understand that influence is everything. You understand that, right? It's not your wealth. People use wealth to influence people. It, it's, it's influence. As a church, we don't have a lot of things, so we have to build a relationship so that we can have that right influence with people. It's not manipulation. We're just trying to influence people to, to desire God and to seek God. It influences everything, but God's like, I can take that away. Uh, I, you've seen it too. You, you see people that they can lose their influence. There's a person right now, 3,000 emails got released, and he's losing influence. Why? Because some things are happening. And there, there, there's other places where you could see a church where you could see that God's hand has been removed, and their influence is diminishing. You can see a father who's losing influence over his children. God can remove that. Why? It's linked to love. And we forget that as the church. But once again, I thought about this idea of how they lost their love, and I want to spend a little bit of time on this. You think about the things that you've lost, and when I thought about what I've lost, I remember that 
I only search for what is lost, not what we left. To lose is accidental. To leave it is intentional. But then I thought about this one time last year. My wife had left her laptop at a hotel room. Any of you stay at a hotel, you actually use those dresser drawers that they give you? Anybody? I'm curious. Yeah, two of you. Three. No, don't just raise your hand if somebody else did. Do you really? I've never met anybody who used those drawers. I don't know why they put those drawers in. We all do the same thing. We leave it in our suitcase, and it's there. And so my wife never used the drawers. But for whatever reason, she didn't put clothes in there. She put her laptop, and she put her a bunch of stuff like that in the drawer. We check out. We leave. We drive to a whole other city two hours away. And we get there, and she's like, I left my laptop. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, babe. That's terrible. <laughs> what are you going to do with your problem? <laughs> Wish you knew somebody that could help you. No, I said, oh, don't worry, I'll go get it. Now, if she would have said, hey, one of Austin's socks is missing, we'll buy him new socks. His toothbrush is there. I'll get him a different toothbrush. Your kid is there. We'll get a different kid. It, uh, we, we just, we're, we're good. Why did I go back? Value. We only search for things based on their value. Understand this. We search more for whatever is worth more. So here's where I'm going. This is where it gets convicting. If you left Jesus, the only reason you're not searching for him is because you don't think he's worth more. That's the indictment on this church. The indictment on this church is they didn't see him as worthy. They didn't. And isn't that the situation we actually find ourselves in? That we would search for God if we understood his value. I mean, when your kid is missing seriously now, we, we stop everything. You're going to find your kid. You, you know, my wife once lost a wedding ring for over a year, and we freaked out about the wedding ring. We looked, and we tore the house apart looking for that wedding ring. And I had just given up on that wedding ring. And then we finally found it because she stuck it. There was a little coin slot in this purse, and she was about to give it to the Goodwill. We were about to be that couple, you know, $10,000, found an old purse. You know, it was about to be this ring, you know. And it's like that was about to be left, and she was going to get rid of this old purse. We searched everywhere for it. Why? Because it had great value. The reason we don't pursue God and are hungry for God is because we don't see his value. We don't think he's worth it. We would never say it out loud. But there's a couple indicators that would be used as proof against us. Scripture says where your treasure is, there will your heart be. You know what your treasures are? A lot of people assume, oh, it's just my money. No. Time treasures, finances, and talents. How much time does God get? Because that's your most valuable resource, actually. How much time? This is wonderful. An hour a week, this is great. It's a start, but this is an hour a week. How much time do you give God? What about your treasures? What finances are you giving to God? You say, hey, you have value, so whatever has value, I invest in. There's, there's hobbies that I enjoy, so I invest into those hobbies. I'll give to those hobbies because I want, I want to have nice things for those hobbies, and I enjoy them. I, I want my kids to have things, so I, they, they have value to me, so I'll, I'll do things for them. And because they, they're worth, they have worth. How much worth does God have? You know, it's amazing. Today, when we search for things, you know the number one thing people are searching for? And this just goes to show you where we really put our value. Have you ever heard somebody say this? I just need to find myself. Where's their value? And isn't that the indictment of our culture today? We're searching for ourselves. Hold on. You're right here. <laughs> if you're looking for you, come talk to me. I'll tell you where you're at. Now, no lie, I did lose myself once. One time I did. We were at Legoland. It always happens around theme parks. And I told Jane, I told you know, my wife is a driven person. She's always moving in the next place. I know that about her. She's just, she will leave me in a heartbeat. Not like leave me forever, but she just leave me and she just, she, she's got it. She's driven. All right? So I was like, hey, babe, I'm going to use the restroom. And I gave her my backpack 
which had my wallet, my keys, my cell phone, had everything. I come out, she's gone. Nothing new. I didn't freak out. I didn't cry, you know, and look for somebody or anything like that. I didn't, not yet anyway. So I was like, I figure she's just outside the gate in the water park at Legoland. So I go out, I look around, she's not there. I was like, well, she's, she's moving. She probably will meet me at the exit gate into the parking lot. So I'll go to the exit gate, and I took off for the exit gate, looked around, she wasn't there. At that point, I panicked. I was like, did she leave me? Like, I'm not about to walk out of there at the car because I can't get back in. She has the tickets, so they're not going to let me back in. So I was like, man, what am I going to do? So I went to the counter, and I told the lady, and she said, yes, how may I help you? And I said, I'm lost. I've lost myself. She's like, we have kids do this, but we've never had a grown and put the explanative man uh, been lost, you know? And I was like, yes, I'm lost. I need my mommy and a popsicle, you know? And uh, so, so she gives me a phone, and I called Jane, and she was like, you walked right past us, which I did. I just didn't even see him. I was on a mission. I was driven. I was like, I got somewhere to be. I lost myself. But isn't it funny that we live in a culture now that's all about finding itself when God's like, how about you focus on finding me? And guess what? You will find yourself because you will find yourself in me because I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ who lives in me. So when we get off of trying to find ourselves and start saying, God, where are you? I will search for you because he came looking for us. He left the 90 and 9. He pursued us. You can study the Gospels where he talked about the pearl of great price. You can talk about the farmer who found a great treasure, sold all that he had. They were willing to pursue God with whatever they could. Where is the church that says, God, you are worth it. You're worth it. We need to get back to understanding that he's worthy. He's worthy of it. You see, it's, a, it, it's not just one part. It's just not one component. Well, is God worth it? We would all agree, yeah, God's worth it. He's worth it. But what's going to motivate us to action? We understand that he's worthy of worth. He's worthy of it. The Bible even talks about in Revelation chapter number 5 how worthy is the Lord, how they surround the throne in heaven, and with a loud voice they say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He's worthy of it. But yet the church is not giving God the one thing he's actually worthy of. It's great that we build buildings. That's wonderful. It's great that we feed the poor. That's great. It's great that we have all these extracurricular little things. But if we don't understand that God is worthy, then we've lost the reason why we're doing it. We've become the church at Ephesus where we've lost the motive. So now ministry is just motion. That's all it is. It's just an empty shell. And when it becomes just motion, we're very easily tempted to stop doing it. Because no one here likes to do stuff just to do it. We're too busy for that. And we're, we're constantly being driven. And so we need to understand that, God, I want to do what you want me to do. And that's falling in love with Jesus. Think about John 21. Jesus comes back after he resurrected from the grave. And he finds the disciples. They're fishing. And then he calls to Peter. The Bible says that Peter stripped off his fishing jacket. And he dove in the water and he swam to shore to see his Lord and Savior. And then Jesus is making them breakfast. And then as he's serving his disciples, he says something to Peter. And I'm sure many of you Bible scholars here this morning remember what Jesus said to Peter. He said, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, yea, Lord, you know I do. Once again, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? And again, he responds, you know, Lord. And then for a third time, he says, do you love me more than these? And finally, uh, Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. He said, don't do action until you have the right motive. Don't go do until you understand what I have done. Don't go and try to serve until you understand the love that I've given you. And too often we're out there doing ministry instead of understanding what he's already done for us. The gospel is spelled done, not do. All other religions say do this to receive this. God says no, it's already done. That's the gospel. It's already been done for us. So out of that, out of that is what flows healthy ministry. Out of that will flow ministry where you can go into Ridge Kids and somebody can drop off a child that you honestly think is probably from that, that, that movie where the kid was the Antichrist movie back in the 60s or 70s, that, that horrible, freaky movie, and it made a lot of people not want to have kids because you were like, that's going to be my kid. And you can encounter that kid in Ridge Kids, and all of a sudden you're like, no, God's given me the right motive, the right heart I can serve. 
You know, we've done huge outreach activities. And I can't tell you how many times at a, at, a, at a church service that there will be people that they have cussed us out at the gate as we've given away free bikes, we've given away free trees. And you're just like, wow, and I've watched you volunteers, the way you've handled it. So gracious, so kind. And I've thought, they know who loves them more. And they know that person really needs love. So church, if we're going to be the right type of church, the healthy type of church, it's because we understand that we receive from God and it flows from us. Deal Moody was a famous evangelist in the 1800s, mid-1800s, 1860s. But his ministry didn't quite take off until a preacher by the name of Henry Morehouse came and preached at the Moody Bible, it's Moody Bible Institute, but there was also the uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle or the, the Moody Bible Church there that they had started. And this young Henry Morehouse was just a young man. D.L. Moody was a well-known evangelist, but his ministry just wasn't quite going to the next level. And then Henry Morehouse was, he, 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 he went to Moody's church, and Moody was away, and, and Moody comes back, and he asks his wife, how did Henry Morehouse' message go? And his wife said, he's good. He's better than you. He tells people that God loves them. And D.L. Moody said, but God doesn't love them. And he says, well, you need to listen to Henry Morehouse. And so Henry Morehouse, for 14 days, taught on one verse, John 3, 16, for 14 days straight. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it was under that preaching that that's when D.L. Moody realized that the love of God is a real thing, that that's what motivates us for ministry, that that's where healthy ministry flows from, that it's the motivation, the love of God. So when we receive the love, now I can give the love. I cannot give you what I've never received. I can't give you from an empty vessel. I need to receive from God, and I pour out to a needy and hurting world. And so that's what our church is all about. We want to fill you up on Sundays. We want to give you all that you need so that you can go out into the world, out to your job, out to your community, out to your place of influence, and you can reach them for Jesus. You can lead them to find and follow Jesus. That's the goal of Southridge Church. That's what we're called to, to make disciples. So as we close, we're going to ask you, and I really thought about preaching a message that was more centered around serving, but honestly, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say we're relaunching. We're trying to relaunch every single ministry in our church. And so I'm going to ask the ushers to pass out this card if they have not received one. But I want everybody to get this card. If you did not receive one, then the ushers have one. But I want everybody to have a card as we prepare to wrap up. And if you did not receive a, a card like this, would you just hold up your hand? And we'll just have an usher come by. Just hold up your hand. And ushers, would you make sure everybody gets one, please? Would you, would you hold up your hand? That, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. The ushers are coming. They'll make sure you have one. You say, why is this so important? Because as a church, as we begin to grow, as we begin to take these next steps, we want to do it from not only just ministry teams that have more volunteers. That's not what this is about. It's about a church that says, you know what? God's been so good to me, and he loves me. And out of that love, I want to serve back. And so I would love it if you would look over this. In a moment, we're going to pray. And if God has touched your heart to say, hey, I'm going to join a ministry team then we would love to have you volunteer and join a ministry team. You can fill out the bottom portion with your name, phone number, and email. And then on the back table, you can separate this card. It's perforated. And then where it says, I said yes, you can hang it on the ministry. And that ministry leader will come over, and they'll invite you and recruit you to their team. And then we're going to give you a little wristband that says, I said yes to serving at Southridge. I know you didn't need a wristband, but... It's something that's just a reminder. And if God's leading you, I don't want to guilt you, I don't want to manipulate you, but if the Holy Spirit is leading you to be a part of a team, then you join a team. We'd love to have you. We're relaunching, we're reengaging. There are lost and hurting people that our church can reach. We can make a great difference in our city and in our community. But we do it from a healthy heart. So I know this message wasn't necessarily a message focused on serving, but it was a, it was a message focused on if the heart's right, everything else will be right. If our hearts are right with God, everything else will flow right. So I'm going to ask you to stand, heads bowed, eyes closed, and I'm going to pray. And then we're going to go into a time of invitation.
then I'd love for you to just pray and say, Lord, would you like me to serve? Or maybe it's a season where you say, you know what, it's not a season for me to serve, but it is a season to get my heart right with God. And maybe God wants to encourage you. Maybe this is a, a time where you say, love God, I, I don't even know God. I've never given my life to him. I've never received the forgiveness of sins. Salvation, I don't know what that is. Maybe today you want to give your life to Christ where you say, hey, he died for me. I want to receive that forgiveness of sins. I'm done trying to find myself. I want to find him. And he's searching. The Bible says in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He's looking for you, my friend. He wants to save you. He wants to save you not just from a, a, a crisis eternity in hell, but he wants to save you to himself. He wants you to be in the family of God. He wants to give you a new life. And so I'm going to invite you to receive him. With head bowed and eyes closed, let me pray for you. And if you feel so led, you can pray at this altar. You can make an altar in your seat and you can uh, pray right there. But I'd love and invite you to pray over what would God have you to do in this next season at Southridge? Heavenly Father, we need you. Father, I pray for our church. There's so many wonderful, wonderful people here. And I believe that our church can have a huge impact on the Bay Area. God, I believe that the church is the hope of the world. But Father, our church, Southridge Church, we want to have the right motives. We want everything we do to flow from a heart posture that says we have not left our first love. We love you fiercely because you first loved us. And so, Father, we pray that you would rekindle that fire in our hearts. God, would you rekindle the fire? God, would you start to stoke the dying embers? Some of us have drifted. Some of us, we've left you, and we need to come back to you. God, there are some that they need to come back to you for the first time. They, they don't know you. They're a sinner in need of a Savior. And you're that Savior. You died for them. You died to give them salvation. And you rose again, conquering death for all. So, Father, I pray that they would open their heart to you. I pray that they would hear this message. And they would heed your call. And they would go and forever be changed because of what they, the decision they made today. We pray your blessing over this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting southridgesanjose.com slash connect. Again, that's southridgesanjose.com slash connect.